Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. You're listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities, and it is our aim to lead you to the cross through the teaching of God's Word. John chapter 19. Let's pray before we get started. Father, we love you. We thank you for the time of fellowship. We thank you for the time to pray for each other. And Lord, as we get into your word, we just want you to speak to our hearts. This is the central event in all of history. This is the the place where the sin bearing was done. This is the place where our salvation was accomplished. And this is the place where you showed us ultimately and finally how much you care about us, how much you love us, Lord. And as we're going through and, and talking about, Lord Jesus, the, the, the pain and the, and the suffering and the, just the sacrifice that you made for us, Lord, we just pray that you'd help us to be people who are thankful and just take these things to heart and just be grateful to you, Lord. You're, you're so good to us. You didn't have to do any of this. And yet you looked down through the ages and you saw each one of us. You said in your word that it was for the joy that was set before you, that you endured the cross, despising the shame. And Lord, we thank you that you call us your joy. Um, in any case, Lord, we pray that you bless the study of your word and that you speak to our hearts and that you do this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's, uh, let's start in verse 17. We're, we're actually going to uh, pick it up um, down in verse 28, but context is good. So let's start in verse 17. It says, and he... Uh, obviously talking about Jesus, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a uh, title and put it on the cross and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore, the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Now, there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. 
So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. You know, when obviously we, we've gone through the first part of that, and so Jesus goes to the cross, and we talked about the fact that over the cross was basically the crime that somebody would have committed. And so when Pilate puts the sign over the cross, he puts up Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. That's what he was dying for because he said that he was the king of the Jews. It's either true or it's false. And the Pharisees and the chief priests and the Jews did not believe it to be true. They didn't like the fact that that was put over the top of Jesus's head. And they came and asked Pilate to change that. And Pilate refused. And you know we, we went through the whole issue with Pilate and his back and forth with the Jews and the fact that he was trying to release Jesus while they just ruthlessly wanted to kill him. And he said, what I've written, I've written. And he just, it's a dig at the, at the, at the Jews, at the people who've done this to Jesus. And it's probably kind of one of those things where Pilate has an inkling that Jesus really is the king of the Jews. And so that's what he puts over the top of his head, the king of the Jews. That's, that's who Jesus is. They don't know it, but that's who he is. In any case, when he's on the cross, they divide his garments. And down in verse 24, it says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And John makes it clear that the reason that this happened is so that the scripture could be fulfilled. Well, that passage is from Psalm 22. And so it's one of the indicators. There's a, there's a few of them. One of the indicators that Psalm 22 is all about Jesus on the cross is the words of Jesus on the cross when he said, Father, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then at the end when he says, it is finished. Those are the first and last lines of Psalm 22. And then various lines in Psalm 22 are fulfilled and quoted from in the Gospels. And so what's, what's so interesting about that is that God lays this whole thing out long before it ever happened, thousand years before it ever took place and 500 years before crucifixion even existed. You have it written down, a, basically a narrative of crucifixion from the point of view of somebody hanging on a cross. And so, again, you have the fulfillment there. The last thing that we talked about was the four women who were at the foot of the cross that are mentioned in this passage and the fact that Jesus gives authority over his mom to John the disciple. That's an indication of two things. Number one, his brothers were not saved yet. Jesus has, Jesus has brothers, Joses and Simon and Judas and... 
think it was James. Oh, yeah, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. He had four brothers and at least two sisters. And so that's an indication that his brothers aren't saved yet. He, he wants to take care of his mother, and he wants somebody who knows the Lord to be doing the taking care of. And so he gives that over to John. The second indication that you have there is that Jesus is the eldest. The eldest is the one who made those decisions. And so, you know, a lot of times uh, when you're talking about different faith traditions, Roman Catholic, for example, does not believe, the Roman Catholics don't believe that Jesus had brothers, even though the Bible calls them brothers and names them. And so they, they think that either they were cousins or maybe they were previous sons of Joseph or, or that kind of thing. And e- either way, if they were previous sons of Joseph, then they would be older than Jesus. And so that's a problem because Jesus wouldn't be making the decision. And if they were cousins, that's what in the world are they doing? You know, the, why does the Bible just flat out say that they're brothers? And so in any case, It's really clear in Scripture that Mary, after she bore Jesus, had a normal relationship with her husband Joseph. In fact, if she didn't do that, it would be against Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about the fact that a woman's body is not her own in marriage. It's her husband's. And a husband's body is not his own in marriage. It's his wife's. And you're not to deprive each other, except for a short time if you're giving yourself over to fasting and prayer. And so the marriage relationship, the physical relationship is something that's supposed to be ongoing in marriage. And the idea that Mary would be a virgin for the rest of her life is not something that's scriptural. It's not something that you have in the Bible. In fact, it goes against what the Bible says. John uh, ended up living in Ephesus. And I've been to Ephesus. We went, to, we went on a tour of Ephesus one time and they can point you to the tomb of Mary in Ephesus. That's where, that's where she died. And we don't know if it's for sure the real tomb and nobody's dug up her bones and, and, and that kind of thing, but, the, but that's where Mary ended up living. That's where both John and Mary ended up um, going home to be with the Lord in Ephesus. Finally, at the, at the end of this whole thing, um, in verse 28, or excuse me, yeah, in verse 28, it says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. And we don't have it in in this text, but in some of the other gospels, one of the things that happened towards the beginning of the crucifixion is that one one of the soldiers came up and he offered Jesus wine mixed with uh, a, what's called a soporific. And I think it, it's, can't remember what the, what the term is used in scripture here, but it was designed to be something that took away the pain, that lessened the pain on the cross. It was an act of mercy. And Jesus, when he touched it to it, he, he went to drink it. Um, and they did it the same way with a, a sponge on a, on a piece of hyssop, on a stalk of hyssop. Hyssop is a vine-like, it's vine-like vegetation that usually grows on walls uh, in Israel. And so you'll see pictures of this. In any case, it, you can obviously take a branch off it and that's uh, what was used there. When they, when, he put it, when they put it to his mouth and he realized what was in it, he refused it. And so it's not till after the, the, till the end of the crucifixion. And again, in other gospels, it talks about Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it talks about the sun not shining for three hours 
And all of these things were taking, taking place while, Je- while Jesus was on the cross. And that whole thing with the sun not shining and my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Most commentators, and I agree with them, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't flat out say this, but most commentators will let you know that that's most likely where the sin bearing took, took place. It's the moment when God treated Jesus like a sinner. And one of the, one of the cool things about the gospel One of the cool things about the cross is that this is literally a transferal of my sin to Jesus. This is a transferal of your sin to Jesus. And what God does is he treats Jesus as if he's a sinner, in fact a criminal who deserves death so that he can treat us like we're righteous men and women who deserve eternal life. And he literally switches places with us. And so when he's on the cross, the, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And again, that whole idea of a transfer of places. So God's treating Jesus exactly like he's a sinner. The Father is. And then at the end of that, when all things were accomplished, that's, and that's what's being spoken about here, when it was all done, when it was finished, Jesus said, I thirst. And one of the results of crucifixion, it would dehydrate you quickly. And so Jesus says, I thirst. And it says, now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. This isn't the wine that, that has the soporific in it. This is just wine that these guys would drink. Actually, I'm saying wine. It's not wine, it's vinegar. These guys drink vinegar. And so that's, that's what sour wine is in scripture. And so the drink that Jesus gets is a drink of vinegar. Have you ever drank vinegar? It's not great. Um, I, was, I was reading about this, and one of the things that one of the history books that I read said is that this, this type of vinegar, this sour wine that they drank was very thirst quenching. And so apparently it's first century Gatorade. <laughs> In any case, Jesus says, I thirst. And, and one of the soldiers comes up and obliges him and puts uh, and gives him uh, the vinegar to drink um, at that point. Um, here's another thing that you see in this passage. He, puts, he takes a sponge and puts, it, puts the sponge on a stick of hyssop, which lets you know that he's up too high to just hold a cup to. You follow me? He's got he's to reach up so that Jesus can get this to his mouth. And so the soldier can't just give him a cup or give him a drink out of a jug or, or something like that. He's got, he's got to put it up a little bit. And that kind of indicates how high the cross is. It probably wasn't up 10 feet or something like that. Um, usually when they crucified somebody, they put them, they put them low enough that, that at least their shins would be in reach of animals. Many times they would leave them on crosses for days at a time and animals would come and chew on the men's legs as they were dying. You know, it's just nothing but torture. And so that, that gives you kind of an indication of how far up Jesus was. Not, not so far that they can't actually reach him, but too far that, uh, to uh, conveniently put a jug up to his mouth. The other thing that I, that I see in this passage is the fact that the soldier was so quick to do it. And one of the things, again, that you see in, in another one of the Gospels is at the end 
of the whole event when Jesus dies, um, the centurion that was the guard, the, the head of the guard that was crucifying Jesus said, surely this was the son of God. And so you see the attitude of these men changing as they watch the events that take place on the cross. And towards the end, they're trying to give him mercy. Verse 30, it says, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. That's exactly how it reads in Greek. Bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew gets a little bit more specific. And he literally says, he, when Jesus dies, he dismissed his spirit. Basically, he just left at that point. Jesus is the only one who can die when he just wants to. He can just leave when he wants to. And so after the suffering is done, after the, the sin bearing is done, after he's taken care of his mother and John, after he's done all these things, it's after all of that that Jesus requests something, something to drink. And it's after he gets that last drink that he says, time to go. And he just leaves, ultimate power. Uh, again, when you're going through the story of the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus, the one who's in control all the way through it is Jesus himself. This is something that was designed by God. It was set up by God. It's something that Jesus was always moving towards his whole life, from the time that he was a baby uh, till, uh, till the time that he was in ministry. And finally, at the end of his ministry, that last Passover, the last supper, he points out the fact that this is what he was here for. This is what he came to do. And so one of the awesome things about looking at the life of Jesus is the fact that he's obviously a good example. He's an example of how we're supposed to live our life. He's an example of what it looks like to be a man or a woman of God, right? He's an example of how, how we're to treat people and uh, how we're to focus on the Lord and how we're to worship and how we're to pray and all those things. He's an example of all those things. And I'm not, I'm not taking that away, but that's not why he came. He didn't come to be an example. He came to die. And he came to die for you and he came to die for me. And the reason that he came to die is because he loves us. When you, when you look at the situation that humanity's in, um, we're in, um, we're, we're in it deep. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite sayings is you can tell how, how deep a hole is by how long the rope is that gets you out. And you can tell how deep a hole humanity was in by how long the rope is that God had to use to get us out. And what had to happen is God himself had to come down and die in our place. So this is why there, there's no salvation apart from Jesus. This is why there, there's no hope apart from Christ. It's not about going to church. It's not about being good. It's not about being kind to people. It's not about that. It's, a, it's about a sin bearing that takes away our guilt and then a commitment to the one who did the taking away to follow after him and to have that relationship with him where he comes inside and he begins to do a work in you that you can't do on your own. He does it himself. And so Jesus saved me and then after Jesus saved me, he sanctifies me. That means makes, makes me more like him. And in the end, he's going to take me home to be with him in heaven. 
And so my salvation is something that Jesus is doing, whether we're talking about my salvation itself or whether we're, we're talking about being uh, made more and more like Christ or whether we're talking about going home to heaven. All of that is something that God has done for me and that God has done for you. And he's the one who does it. He's the one who does it. And again, this is how, this is how radical it is. This is why there's no salvation in any other name. Peter said in, in the book of Acts, there's no salvation in any other name than the name of Jesus. Buddha didn't die for you. Muhammad didn't die for you. The guy who started Hinduism, whoever that was, didn't die for you. The, you know, when, when you're when Confucius with Taoism, didn't die for you. And you can go through all the, the world's biggest religions and you see that they all basically say exactly the same thing. You just need to be good enough, then you'll attain enlightenment and all of that kind of stuff. It's all a works trip until you come to Christianity. And then when you come to Christianity, the answer is you're in too deep. There's no way for you, for you to work your way out of this. The only way that you can come is through the Son. Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him. And this is the way that it's designed. This is the doorway. This is the entrance into heaven. It, go, it goes through the cross. And when we come to Jesus through the cross, all my sin is put on him. He paid for it all. And at that point, I am, I am free of my sin, and I have literally the right to be in heaven. He traded, again, he traded places with me. The only person on this planet who ever had the right to heaven is Jesus. And what Jesus what did was he traded places with me. You get that? And so, you know, a lot of times as we're going through the Bible, the Bible um, majors on making sure that your walk with Christ is a real one, that it's, that it's something that's glorifying to God, that's a, the, that's a blessing, you're a blessing to the people around you and, and that kind of thing. You always have to look at that through cross-colored glasses. The only way I'm gonna change, the only way I'm gonna be like Jesus, the only way that I'm gonna be the man I'm supposed to be for myself, for my wife, for my children, for you, the only way that's, that's going to happen is by going through the cross. That's the only way. It's gotta be a work of God in my life. And then everything becomes the way that it's supposed to be. I thirst. And so they gave him the sour wine. In Matthew's gospel, it says, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink, but when he had tasted it, he would not drink. And that's the soporific that I was talking about. And that uh, fulfills Psalm 20, 69, verse 21. It says, they also gave me gall for my food and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Even the stuff that was getting, getting, being given to Jesus to drink is prophesied in the Old Testament when you're talking about the cross. Then he says, uh, again, verse 30, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. That, that phrase, it is finished, um, is really interesting. One of the things that, that you have in the, far, in, in the Near East, I was gonna say the Far East, I'm, uh, in the Near East, specifically in Egypt. Uh, Egypt is kind of a treasure trove for papyri. And papyrus is, is kind of, it's the Egyptian paper that they would make scrolls out of uh, back in the first century and previous. And because Egypt is so dry, 
Um, it's so arid, it's a great place for all these papyri to be preserved, obviously for thousands of years. And so right around this, right around the time of the first century, they, they dug up some papyri on one of them. It was uh, literally a, an invoice. And so it was an invoice for goods. And Greek was, the, was kind of the, the English of the first century. You've been listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick, Washington. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of today's message or wanting to know more about what it means to follow Christ, then please contact our church office by phone at 509-736-2086. You can also look us up online at calvary-tricities.org. There you will find a wide variety of Pastor Steve's teachings to listen to or download for free. If you want to join us for church sometime, we are located at 10611 West Clearwater Avenue in Kennewick, Washington. Our Sunday morning service times are 7.30, 9.15, and 11 a.m. We also have Wednesday and Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. We hope you have been blessed today and join us again next time for Crosswalk.